Here in Matthew 15, we've, we're going to see some stories that it's like, man, is, is Jesus being a little redundant here? Um, and we're going to see Jesus reveal himself again in a miraculous way as, as Lord over all creation, as being the powerful one in whom there is no weakness, who comes in the name of God and the power of God. And then we're going to also talk about why in the world do we doubt? <laughs> and the scriptures, the scriptures are full of doubters in the midst of a record where it should be obvious how faithful and how powerful and how able God is, but yet doubters are still everywhere. Let's read, starting in verse 29, um, going through the end of the chapter. The scriptures say, Jesus went on from there. Remember, he was just in a, in a district of Tyre and Sidon. Um, dealing with the plea of a Canaanite woman, which we dealt with last week. He went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee. So he makes another journey, 30 to 50 miles from where he was, back down to Galilee. And he went up on the mountain and sat down there. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and they put them at his feet. And he healed them, so that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speak, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I am unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, Where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? And Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? Then they said, seven, and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish, and, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied, and they took up seven baskets full of the broken pieces left over. Those who ate were four thousand men, beside women and children. And after sending away the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region of Megadan. Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom today as we look into your word. Let us not be as those who doubt, but let us be faithful in believing. Having seen your scriptures speak the revealed truth about our risen Lord Jesus Christ, and may we trust these scriptures. May we not doubt them. May we not doubt you who has given us this revelation, a revelation that we do not deserve to have. You know, when you acted... Back in the days of Noah, you were just to destroy the world. But yet, in your great love, you found it within your love to, remain, to, to leave a remnant that you might show your love through from generation to generation. And may we take this cloud of witnesses that, has, that testifies to your faithfulness and may we join them in faith pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this, this passage doesn't necessarily talk about doubting per se, but it's just the, it's the fact that this, these stories exist to begin with. First, we see Jesus doing kind of what he does, right? He has spent who knows how long by this point healing, casting out demons, um, making the, the lame walk, the mute speak. <laughs> He's been doing this for ages, so to speak. Not ages, but 
for his whole ministry. And in, uh, in Luke chapter 4, which Brother Rich read just moments ago, let me, let me, do, let me read this for you again. I mean, Jesus actually, you know, Isaiah, he's quoting Isaiah in this passage. Isaiah was prophesying about what kind of ministry the Messiah would have when he came. God did not leave the people without a uh, something to look forward to, right? He always gave them something to keep their eye on. This is going to happen when the Messiah comes. The Messiah is going to look like this. He's going to do these things. And here in, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus is in, the temple, he's in a, a synagogue on the Sabbath day, just starting in verse 16. He came to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found a place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, to set the liberty, set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today... This scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. What he's saying there is, I am the one that these scriptures are pointing to. And then he's going to go on from here, and he's going to be doing these things. Proclaiming liberty to the captives. He's going to be reaching out to the poor. He's going to be healing the sick. Giving sight to the blind, which you look through the Old Testament, and there's... There aren't really examples of blind people receiving their sight. This is a pretty specific ministry of the Messiah. And not only the blind, but many other types of people. He healed. He rose people from the dead. Um, this is the kind of ministry that the Messiah was going to have. And then he goes and does these things. And it's interesting. If, we're, if we stick around in Luke chapter 4 here for a second... <clears throat> In verse 22, it says, And all spoke well of him, and it marveled at the gracious words that were coming out of his mouth. And, and they said, Is this not Joseph's son? And it's kind of interesting. You kind of put, himself in, put, the, put yourself in this situation. Jesus is returning to where he was raised, right? And at the beginning, right after he teaches this, verse 22 says, All spoke well of him and marveled. It's almost like, you know, this is where Jesus rose from a, you know, was raised as a kid, right? You know, have you ever been in that situation where you go back to where you were raised? You know, you know, it may have been a while, but then all the people are just talking about, oh, how big you've gotten. You know, oh, how much you've grown. Last time I saw you, you were this big, and now you're this big. You know, and they start praising you for how you've grown and where you've come from, and oh, you've got a degree now. Oh, that's wonderful. That's kind of a situation here. Like the people that he's talking to are the people that he grew up with. You know, there are people who are older than him. You know, I remember changing your diapers, you know, that type of a thing going on in this town where he was. And right after he, he got up and was teaching in the synagogue, which, I mean, this passage here that we're reading is proof that Jesus did not live a very magnanimous life prior to being baptized. He was just a normal guy. I mean, he was faithful to the commandments. He was a devout 
man, along with Mary and Joseph. He was devout. He was sinless. We're not denying that here. But other than that, other than his faithfulness to the commands of Scripture, he was a normal guy. In verse 22, the people were already very, they, they, were, they spoke well of him. They thought he was doing a great thing. Oh, look at, look at our little Jesus. He's speaking in the synagogue now, you know, and reading the scriptures out of the scroll. Um, and they marveled at him. And, it, it said, and they said, is this not Joseph's son? You know, they're reminiscing about his past. And Jesus said to them, so in a, in a way, this is diminishing Jesus, right? They're simply, they're simply putting him in a place where like, oh yeah, you're just, you, I remember your youth and, you know, you're so, you know, you're so cute and that kind of a thing. And they're not even thinking about what the scriptures said. They're just thinking about, well, look at where Jesus has come from, you know? Look at where Je- how Jesus has grown and how he has been, how he has matured um, in favor with God, in favor with man, as, as we see earlier in the scriptures in his life as a, as a young boy. And they're really just diminishing him. They're not even focusing on the scriptures. They're just talking about Jesus and uh, who he was, and how, he, how he came from Joseph's house. Verse 23, and he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. So now they're, so that perhaps they've heard of stories about how he has performed some miracles. Like, you know what, Jesus is returning to his hometown. You know, he's got to do us some favors too, right? He's got to do some of these wonders here to us too. Not because they think much of Jesus, but because they want something from him. You know, maybe this is a situation similar to like, okay, you know, you grow up in a, in a, in a family um, as a youth, as a boy or as a girl, and you, you grow up, you go to college, and you go out and you get this super successful job, and you're making a ton of money, and then you come back home and people just want to hand out. That's kind of what this is going on. You know, if you hear somebody, you win the lottery or something. Now people are just asking you for money. You know, they used to be your friends or your family, and now they just want you for your money. Similar situation here. They've, they've heard the powers that Jesus had been using. Like, you know what? You're back here. We're your home. We're, we're your home, you know? How could you do these things for other people and not do it for us? Come on, show us some, show us some of these signs. Heal, heal some of us. They, weren't, they didn't care about God. They didn't care about Messiah, they just wanted a handout. <clears throat> That's not really too far off from the culture that we live in. Our faith is not necessarily in Jesus. We don't desire Jesus for, for Jesus' sake because of what the scriptures have written of him. We just want him to give us a better life. We just want him to fix all of our problems. Our faith is not in God for God's sake. We don't love God. We love ourselves and we're using God to serve ourselves. Verse 24, and he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman Syrian. We talked, last week we talked about a woman from Tyre and Sidon, that Jesus went and ministered to, and he's talking. He, now he's quoting a, the story from, about Elijah, who you know he could have been doing healings and miracles in Israel, but none of the Israelites wanted God. Every man was doing that which was right in his own eyes. He went to Gentile nations. 
Or with this story with Naaman, the Syrian, he, was, he healed a Gentile. Because those were the only people who really had faith in the God of Israel. Israel didn't even have faith in the God of Israel. These Gentiles did. Even though they had a history of God's faithfulness and love, but yet they, were, they had no interest in following the God of Israel. And back in Matthew chapter 15, verses 29 um, through 31, we see Jesus ministering as the Messiah would. Ministering as the Messiah would, healing, preaching. Um, and these people, you know, you put yourself in this situation, it's, a, you know, it's kind of understandable that they would be amazed by this because there are people coming from all around, sick people, lame people, people who couldn't walk. People who couldn't talk, people who are blind coming to Jesus. And then all of a sudden, this horde that used to just be sick people, maybe they're being carried around on their little cots, drugged to Jesus, or led by the arm to Jesus, or sick and limping, um, or whatever it was. And all of a sudden, people are just jumping around in joy because they've been healed. Like everybody who is sick is now just healed. And it's just like the scene that must have been going on on this, on this mountain had to have been a wonderful scene. And these people, they are glorifying the God of Israel, which is a wonderful thing. And there's not really any rebuke for these people. There's no rebuke in this whole passage, which is a wonderful thing in a sense. The focus isn't really on the rebuke here. Um, but in verse 32, we also see the compassion of Jesus coming back in um, to, the, to the story. And he does a miracle that he really, he just did. In a similar way, in chapter 14, we see Jesus feeding the 5,000. It's almost an exact same story, except different numbers. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on this crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. I mean, this has been going on for three days. The feeding of the 5,000 was going on for one day. These people have been with Jesus being healed, whatever, hearing his teaching for three days now. And they have nothing to eat. And I am unwilling, see how fervent he is in taking care of these people. I am unwilling (laughs) to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. See how powerful the love of Christ is. See how powerful it is. When was the last time your, your love was stirred to such a degree where you just said, you know what, I am unwilling for this person to remain as they are. I am going to step in and serve them, provide for them, or whatever it is. Or proclaim to them. Just to bring in the Sunday school thing, this is one of the reasons we're revamping the Sunday school program so that we can bring in more children because of the spirit that we are unwilling for these children to keep going without a shepherd. They need to know Jesus. And right now they have no shepherd. We are unwilling to look at these kids who could come to church, who are ready to come to church, who want to come and hear the the love of Jesus. They want to be here. And we are unwilling to turn them away. Because if if we have the world's goods and we see someone in need and we close up our hearts against them, how can we say the love of God abides in us? We have the truth here. We are unwilling to send away these children hungry, lest they faint on the way. Now, the point isn't to talk about Sunday school, but just in as an example of the love of Jesus that we can see from Jesus, that we can receive from Jesus, and that we can live by the grace of God because of Jesus. 
the steadfastness of his love. Verse 33, and the disciples said to him, where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? I mean, this statement makes me laugh just because Jesus just did this. They're, all, they're confused. Uh, there's so many people here, Jesus. What are we supposed to do? We don't have enough money. Where are we supposed to go? What's going to happen? As though they've never seen this situation before. <laughs> you know? It wasn't long ago. It was just in a couple chapters ago. This was going on. And really, I mean, if you follow a timeline, I mean, the timeline gets a little a little iffy, but it wasn't really that long ago when Jesus fed the 5,000. And the disciples are already confused. But we've been there, haven't we? Where God has provided for us. We've seen him step in, provide for us. And then we're in another situation. And we're like, I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> you know, I have a need. And I don't know how I'm going to fulfill the need. I just, and then despair sweeps over you. You feel the despair again that you used to feel. And then God provided for you. God gave. God was faithful. God saw you through. And then you go into a similar situation and yet despair comes again. Why? Because we forget the faithfulness of God. We forget what he has done, that he is there, that he is with you. We forget the scriptures that portray a faithful and loving God and his disciples. I mean, they've even been rebuked between then and now for their lack of faith. Don't you remember? Why did you forget <laughs> the things that you have seen? Where is your faith, O ye of little faith? Why did you doubt? And yet here they are again. Confused. How are we supposed to get through this? How are we supposed to fulfill our compassion on these people, Jesus? Jesus doesn't rebuke them. He could have rebuked them. But now is not the time. Because he's filled with compassion. He's focused on loving these people. Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? They said seven and a few small fish. Now you have to notice the numbers. Now when you fed the 5,000, they had 12. They had, there, was a, there were 12 baskets left over. Um, they had a different amount of, amount of fish and things. The, the, the number in the feeding of the 5,000 that we see is 12, representing what? The nation of Israel. And then he preached after that about being the bread of life, being Israel's Messiah. He's there to satisfy the Israel's need, right? And now we see the number of seven coming into this story, which is the number of completion or the number of satisfaction. The number of rest also. But it's, 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 it's used in many different capacities, but all, all, all revolving around this main theme of satisfaction, completion, fullness, right? And that's what we see throughout Scripture. We could go through the Scriptures and prove that for a while, but we don't have time for that. So said so they have seven loaves of bread and a few small fish. Verse 35, directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish, giving them thanks. He broke them and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave um, them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. So we see that, that word satisfied, satisfaction by the miracles of Jesus. Um, and they took up seven baskets full of the broken pieces left over. Those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. And after sending away the crowds, he got in the boat and went to the region of, of Magadan. Um, 
But we see this seven, seven, seven loaves, seven baskets picked back up. The people were satisfied. Jesus came to satisfy our need. He came to satisfy our need. That's why the Messiah was sent. That's why God's love sent the Messiah. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Right? We have an eternal need that the love of God recognized, had compassion on, and sent satisfaction for. There is no satisfaction outside of Jesus for our sin problem. People, we like to find our own ways of satisfying our problems. Especially us men, right? You know, that's our job. We're supposed to we're supposed to provide. We're supposed to take care of the needs of our family. You know, it's just in our DNA to try to satisfy the needs of our families. And it's not just a man thing, it's also a woman thing in different just in different capacities, right? And it's not just for families, but it's just the human nature. We want to take control of our own lives. We want to satisfy our own need, including our sin problem. So we have hordes of different types of religions or even Christian denominations that have these systems and forms all built around trying to do something that God sent Jesus to do. To satisfy our sin problem. Our sin need to fill us with the righteousness of God. And we try to satisfy that need by different means. As though we think that anything that we could do could give us the righteousness of God. What pride that we have to think that we can set up a lifestyle that would satisfy God's righteous requirement. I mean, if we could do that, we don't need Jesus. We just needed Moses. If we could satisfy God's righteous requirement, all we needed was Moses. That was the last covenant we needed. We didn't need another one. We didn't need Jesus' new covenant by his blood. But yet we are determined in our pride and our lack of faith in God to satisfy our own needs. So we work and we toil and we reject Sabbath so that we can keep on working to gain what God has already sent satisfaction for because of our lack of faith. We know what Jesus has done. We see it in the scriptures. Just like these disciples, they know that Jesus has done this before, but yet they still lack the faith. We have the scriptures to testify of the the infinite satisfaction God has provided for us, but yet we won't take it and believe it. Our pride, a lack of faith. And the people, we read in the book in the in, in Luke that the people just they didn't want the Messiah. They just wanted food. They wanted belly satisfaction. You know, Paul said that there were many who their gods were their bellies. Why? Because they just wanted to satisfy themselves. They wanted physical, earthly satisfaction, and that's why they reject Christ. Because his satisfaction is eternal and immortal, and it doesn't fill their bellies per se. In this illustration here of Jesus, this miracle about providing for these thousands of people, it's not about, it wasn't all about feeding their bellies. Even though he had compassion on them, he knew their need, he provided their need. But in it we see the love of Christ and the satisfaction of Christ parabolically, allegorically. 
Christ came to satisfy a much bigger need than simply our need for food. In Mark chapter 11, in verse 27, we read a story about people challenging Christ because they just did not put their faith in Him. And they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and scribes and the elders came to him, and they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things, or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John was really a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. See, Jesus is not interested in satisfying the unfaithful. The unfaithful will not be satisfied by Jesus. The unfaithful, those who do not have faith in God, you know, the Bible says a dozen times, maybe more, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you will not fear the Lord, then you will not ever receive his wisdom. You will always be coming up with excuses for why you should not believe what God has already said. And these religious leaders are doing just that. They come to Jesus, questioning him, trying to catch him, trying to get him to say something that they can just destroy him with, accuse him with, imprison him with. And they're asking him about his authority. You know, he's been preaching. He's been, um, he, uh, he flipped over all the, okay, so what just happened? You know, this is the last week of his life. He's going to die anyway for our sins. He enters the temple, which is a holy place. And he's in the outer, um, outer, outer portions where people were selling pigeons and, and sheep and things for sacrifice. And Jesus goes in there and he's just flipping over tables. And he stays there for the, for the day, preaching to the people about what the temple of God is all about. Everybody who's coming into the temple, he's preaching, he's proclaiming to them the majesty of the Lord God and how this is a, a place of prayer for all nations. And, you know, they, you know, we could get into this more and more and more, but Jesus had his, the zeal of the Lord's house had eaten him up. And he was flipping tables. He was, he was kicking out these people who were taking advantage of other people. And rightly so, the religious people come up and be like, why are you disturbing the peace? Why are you doing, by what authority do you come in here proclaiming God's, what's, what God's temple is all about? Why are you overturning our traditions? What, who, by what authority are you doing all of these things? Jesus knew that they were never going to accept the real answer. Because if they were going to accept the real answer, they'd have done it by now. He's already talked to them over and over and over again. He's already proven himself to be the Messiah without a shadow of a doubt. But they would not believe because they didn't want to. Because they lived according to their own traditions, their own set, their own methods of satisfying their own needs. And they were stuck in it, trapped and ensnared. They would not believe God because they only knew tradition. They only knew self-satisfaction, self-righteousness, which is problematic today, too. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. We will not be.
be satisfied by Christ alone. There has to be more to it. You know, there's a, there's a big scriptures here. I'm not going to say that all you need to know is Jesus died for your sins. No, there's a, there's a whole New Testament that talks about Jesus, right? We need to know it. But we need, I mean, this is, you know, the early, I mean, why we're talking about this earlier um, in Sunday school. There's a reason why the early Christians met, every single time they met, they had communion. Why? Because they were always excited to talk and to, rem- to, to reminisce about Christ's death, burial, and resurrection for their sins and for their new life. They always wanted to reminisce what Christ did, the new covenant by his blood, the body that he had given for them, for the salvation and the sa- of their souls, the satisfaction of their sin problem. They always wanted to come back to what Christ did for them. And that's what we need to always be about. We need to always come back to remembering Christ's satisfying sacrifice, his substitutionary atonement, we might say, that satisfied the wrath of God. And no more wrath is due us who put our faith in Christ. We don't need to stop, we don't need to keep on doing these traditions and tradition after tradition, trying to get God to find us to be satisfactory. Otherwise, why did Christ come? If we still have satisfying work to do. And we are fools to think that we can do something in our strength that could provide eternal satisfaction of the, the holy righteousness of God. That's above us. And if we don't see that, then we are severely mistaken. In this passage we've seen in Matthew, we see a satisfying Christ who is the bread of life. And if if you're in Mark already, just turn back a page or two. Mark 10, 13. This is so important. And they were bringing children to him that they might that he Jesus might touch them and the disciples rebuked them. Now why would the disciples rebuke these children from coming to Jesus? Oh they're they're not worth your time Jesus. Oh they're just distracting you Jesus. They're too energetic, you know. They're too loud and noisy. They're not worth it. Jesus, you should focus on blessing the adults. Verse 14, but when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. See, again, we see the passion behind Christ's compassion. And he said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Now, this could mean a lot of different things, but one thing we need to know here is that our faith in Christ, it starts very simply. It's not complicated. It doesn't have all these supplementary rules and traditions and all these types of things. Entrance into the kingdom of God, the citizenship of God, reconciliation of God. Simple faith in the satisfying work of Jesus Christ. It's simple. And unless you recognize it as such, you will have no part in it, Jesus is saying. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. He's being very pointed and very specific here. 
If you don't have the faith of a child, you cannot have salvation. It simply trusts. That means our faith cannot, you know, in, our, in my cabinet, in my kitchen cabinet at home, I have all these different bottles of vitamins. Some of you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> we have, and there's all these different bottles of things that I can be taking to help aid my health, right? Christianity is not like that. We don't need all these supplements to help aid our salvation. Now, we need help enduring and being faithful, right? But the satisfaction of our sins doesn't need all these different supplements. Like I have in my kitchen cabinet. Even a little bit. You know, anybody who takes vitamins know that these vitamins just do a little, really, you know. But they help. You know, in a lot of different traditions, it's like, yeah, the focus, the, the primary focus is on Jesus, but these little traditions help a little bit, right? They're supplements. That is still foolishness. That is still unbiblical. That still strays from the satisfaction, the final, full satisfaction that we have in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, for reconciliation with God, for receiving God's own righteousness upon ourselves, having traded our sin and it being nailed to the cross being taken away forever. Remember the Scriptures. Remember the satisfaction that we see in Christ. And remember that God is faithful. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from a little bit of our unrighteousness and then we do the rest of the work. Oh, I oh I, I must have been reading a different translation. Uh, I do that too. <laughs> to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. <laughs> all. All of it. I don't know why this has to be so complicated. But if we can simply trust with the faith of a child, we can focus on loving God rather than focusing on how can I get God to love me. We can focus, if we can be confident in this one thing, we can be focused on loving God and loving our neighbor rather than always trying to get something to satisfy something we feel is still broken. Lord, I thank you for your goodness and I thank you for your good work on the cross for us. I just pray that we would see Jesus high and lifted up. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so is Jesus lifted up, so that we could simply look to him and be saved. God, help us. If there is any impurity in our faith, Lord, purge it, that we might be pure. Glorify your name amongst us, that we may only see you. In Jesus' name, amen.